Do that again. Baby bunk bumper buckies. Mm-hmm. Bumper buggy. Me, 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 me. <clears throat> Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Rob. And this is Two, Two Librarians, librarians Walk into, into a, a Shelf. shelf. Uh, welcome to episode five of episode our podcast. Episode five. We are up to episode five. Yeah. Uh, today's theme, uh, we're taking us back all the way to the 1960s. Uh, all of our recommendations today will be set in the 60s. Set in the 60s. And they're like new movies, new books, but set in the 60s. Yes. Not movies and books from the 60s. Right. We could probably do that later, but yeah. this, this, this is this, new stuff. It's a throwback. A throwback. A throwback Thursday, but to the 60s. Sure. And hey, I've got a joke to commemorate our fifth podcast. Where do we keep books about Bigfoot? I don't know. The large print section. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, Rob and I work at the Madison Public Library. It's part of the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library system. Uh, and uh, we're here today to talk to you about uh, some recommendations that we have. You want to go ahead and start us off today? Sure. All I right. will start us off with a book recommendation. This was written in 2016, Psychosanitarium by Chet Williamson. Psychosanitarium is exactly what you think it is. This is a sequel to Robert Bloch's classic pulp mystery thriller, Psycho. So this book is set in 1960, and it picks up exactly where Bloch's book, not the movie by Alfred Hitchcock, but the actual novel source of the Hitchcock movie, Robert Bloch's Psycho, it picks up right after the murders and the revelation that he's been killing people, his mother. So uh, Robert Bloch's original Norman Bates he was a much different character than the movie portrayal. He was a heavier, older man, closer to maybe middle age, balding with glasses. Um, and that's not, what are you, why are you looking at me like that? Stop. <laughs> this is not the way he was portrayed by Anthony Perkins in the uh, Hitchcock movie. Stop looking at me like that. <laughs> so Psychosanitarium begins immediately after the events of the first novel, with Bates being admitted to the state hospital for the criminally insane under the care of Dr. Felix Reed. It's up to Reed to bring Norman out of his catatonic state that we saw him in. If you remember the very end of the movie, it's, it's, it's the same ending. I've never seen the movie. Okay. Wow. Um, so when, uh, <laughs> when Norman's twin brother, Robert Newman, shows up, he's allowed to meet his infa infamous sibling and slowly pulls him out of his catatonia. Norman and Robert get to know each other, and Robert shares stories about his work and his family with Norman, promising to introduce him to his wife one day when he gets out. Some of the sanitarium staff, uh, as well as residents, aren't too kind to Norman. They're all aware of what he did, who he is, and a lot of them are straight-up jerks to him. So you know what that means. Mm -hmm. The knife will soon begin to fall, and people will start showing up missing. Uh-oh. Reed does what he can to reach Norman, and uh, old Norm's a little bit skeptical about his visits with Robert. Uh, Robert, his twin, is showing a bit of aggression. And fact be told, Norman may be a bit worried for his own safety when he's around his brother. Mm. 
Chet Williamson has written a truly brilliant new chapter in Robert Block's Psycho series. It fits in nicely between the original novel and Block's own sequel, Psycho 2, which has nothing to do with Psycho 2 the movie. Um, Williamson not only captures the spirit of Block's character, but he recreates the pulp novel itself. He's writing not so much in Block's style, but he's writing in the style those books were written in 60 years ago. And if you've read older books, you Mm -hmm. know that there's a different style. And it's fascinating. I would say that if this book was released with a retro cover and you didn't you didn't have a year on it, and you even if you put Robert Block's name on it, you would believe that it was a book written in the 60s, which I just find fascinating. That's interesting. Yeah, it's totally different. A lot of movies and books that are written about a different time, they want to kind of remind you, constantly remind you of the time with pop culture references. Like mm-hmm. anything about the 80s, somebody's always working a Rubik's Cube, you know, and we didn't really do that in the 80s. Uh, a lot of us got tired of them after the day after Christmas sure. when we got them because they were dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so it really, it really is a fascinating book on a lot of levels. And if you're familiar with the series by Robert Block, this really does fit just perfectly in that series between the first book and the second book. The Psycho Sanitarium by Chet Williamson is available on Hoopla as an ebook, and they've just added the audiobook, which is read by Chet Williamson himself. Nice. We don't have a copy in the system, but Hoopla offers the ebook and the audiobook, and I can't recommend them highly enough. Great. What do you got? My book, uh, set in the 60s, is uh, The Girls by Emma Klein. Centers around the character. Her name is Evie Boyd. Uh, she is a bored, lost, and lonely 14-year-old in California in 1969. And like most 14-year-olds who are dealing with growing up and the difficulties of parents splitting up, losing best friends, uh, and just the age, she's searching for meaning, something to uh, to hold on to. And so I guess it's no surprise when she meets a dynamic group of girls at the park, she becomes swept up in their lives. Evie is enamored with this girl, Suzanne, and her friends, and she begins to spend all of her time with them at the ranch. Uh, It becomes clear that these girls are part of a cult, and it's not really a spoiler. The cult is based on Charles Manson's cult. So Emma Klein writes this, the voice of a disaffected 14-year-old really well, and Evie's inner voice is extremely compelling. She tells you what she wants. She tells you when she doesn't get what she she wants. She tells you when she wishes she had done something differently. She even tells you what she ate for lunch. And somehow I still wanted to hear her tell me more. (laughs) This seems to be one of those books that people either love or really, really dislike. People tend to not like the voice of the 14-year-old, I guess. But if you like books about the 60s or books about young adults learning to navigate hard things, or um, also if you like character development, this book is a crash course in character development. So this might be a good choice for you. That sounds good. And, you know, wrapped up with Manson's cult. Of course. Because it's the 60s. <laughs> and we have that in the system? Yeah, we've got lots of copies in the system. You can find it on um, Overdrive as well. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, my movie is one that came out last year, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And this one is written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. So it's Hollywood, 1969, the true end of Hollywood's golden era. Uh, We're introduced to Rick Dalton, an older actor who is slowly being edged out of the movie biz for all the new up-and-coming younger actors and Cliff Booth, his simple but ridiculously loyal stunt double. Uh, Rick is hitting a slump. He's not getting the starring roles. He's 
getting a lot of bad guy roles on TV shows, and, and it's made worse when a producer comes to him and tells him that maybe you should go to Italy and make some spaghetti westerns, and this just enrages him. This is actually an insult, which I don't understand, because I would love to go be in a spaghetti western. I know you would. <laughs> While this is going on, we get to know these characters. Rick's next-door neighbor, Sharon Tate, is moving in with her husband, Roman Polanski. Why do I remember that name? That's it's because you've heard of these people before. Sharon Tate's enjoying the early successes of her career. The movie actually has one really sweet, great moment where she finds a theater showing her then new film, The Wrecking Crew, and she's let in for free, and she gets to watch the movie and watch the people's reaction to her on screen, which is really just a, a great moment. It was. And you feel really happy for this character. For sure. Rick finally takes the offer to go to Italy. He makes a couple westerns and a spy movie and gets married. When they return, he kind of knows that his time with Cliff is, is coming to an end, and... They have one last blowout. They go eat a nice dinner, start drinking, take a taxi home. And the plan is for the two friends to hang out and just tie a good one on for the night. No one knows that uh, next door, members from Charles Manson's cult are heading to murder Sharon Tate. And then they decide to maybe it would be make more of a statement if they then murder the washed up cowboy actor next door. Uh, the thinking being that his show taught them how to be violent. What a statement to then murder the person who taught them to be violent. So this is not at all a historically correct depiction <laughs> of the night. Sharon Tate and others were sadly murdered. I don't see that it's really exploiting it either. I, I see it as a fairy tale, uh, much like some of the other Tarantino movies. Uh, it's a fairy tale about a real event that maybe has an outcome that we all sort of wish would have happened. It would have been great if these two guys were there and really did save Sharon and her guests, uh, but they didn't. This fairy tale depiction of Hollywood circa 1969 uh, is achieved not through CGI computer trickery, but Tarantino actually recreated many of the iconic storefronts and landmarks for the movie. So when his characters are driving down Hollywood Boulevard, it really does look like Hollywood Boulevard 1969, which is fascinating. Nice. It's amazing. There's references all over. There's so much to look at. The beloved Van Nuys drive-in is recreated in an amazing miniature that your eyes tell you is real. It's just a joy to watch. Um, and the, the at the center of all this is this really sweet, wonderful relationship between Leonardo DiCaprio's Rick and Brad Pitt's Cliff. Mm -hmm. It's honest. They're real, they're real guys. And they're the kind of guys that kids would watch movies of. They kind of remind me of Clint Eastwood and Steve McQueen. And those yeah. were guys that everybody wanted to grow up and be. But you get to see behind their screen persona that they're just a couple of guys with, with problems and doubts. And, and uh, there's a lot to it. And, and again, the, the ending of the movie is kind of the ending we all wish for. Film is an absolute joy start to finish. Multiple, multiple copies within the HMCPL system to be put on hold and picked up anywhere. I, I recommend this yeah, one. You convinced me to watch it. I had my doubts because I Quentin Tarantino movies are usually a little bit too violent for me. They can be. Uh, I can appreciate them, but once is enough. Um, <laughs> but this one, it ha it is violent, but... 
the amount of violence is very small compared to other Quentin Tarantino movies. So you're not usually a fan of his movies because the violence level, this is, this is one you might actually really enjoy because the storytelling is really, it's really beautiful. It's a good one. He did a good job with it. So what do you got for us? Uh, the movie, um, it's another uh, pretty new movie, uh, The Bad uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. I know you're a fan. I, I, I really like that one, yeah. yes. I saw this movie described as Agatha Christie meets Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> and I think that's really a good description. So when I went to read about the movie, it's directed by Drew Goddard, who got his start as a writer for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I love that show. Uh, that show played a, a very serious <laughs> role in my formative years. He also co-wrote and directed Cabin in the Woods, and that's one of the very few horror movies that I actually like. It's a good uh, one. That one, the storytelling in that one is amazing. So I was like, okay, I will watch this movie despite the Quentin Tarantino comparison. So it's, you know, it starts with a, um, a bank heist and uh, hidden money, and you know, someone's got to come back and find the money, and he ends up at this, this now it's run down, seedy old kind of empty hotel, the El Royale. And uh, the cast of characters that end up checking in to the El Royale on the same evening is played by lots of big names. And they all do a really excellent job in their character roles. Uh, we've got John Hamm, Jeff Bridges, Dakota Johnson, uh, Cynthia Erivo, who is amazing in this movie. She plays a singer. Yes. Um, and she is both amazing acting and also her singing in this movie is just amazing. And we've even got a cameo by Chris Hemsworth. The thing that I really like about this movie is it's got this choppy timeline to tell you the story of murders and backstory and just as everything unravels, it, it was good. It was funny. It was interesting. And I didn't, I didn't see where it was going. No, so, no, it's a good one. So it was a good reveal. So I definitely recommend that one. It's, you know, it's a, it's a thriller, so it's got some violence, but it's not gruesome. I think uh, if you like mysteries, you'll like it. It was a, it was a surprise. It was. That one was good. And we have that one in, in the system also. Yeah, all over the system. You can uh, get yourself a copy on hold for sure. Anything else you want to add to our uh, episode about books and movies set in the 60s? Uh, no, keep, keep the 60s alive. And the 70s, and the 80s, and the 90s. Read, watch. <laughs> Keep it all alive. Keep it all alive in your heart, in, in your selections from the library. Yeah. I will mention that you and I both do blogs for the library system. Yeah. And those can be found at blog.hmcpl.org. There's blogs about the podcast that will have links to all the materials that we talk about. Yeah. And then I also write about some of the movies on Hoopla. I've been doing drive-in double features where I pick two movies, put them together, and tell you why they kind of make a good double feature for your evening. And you write all kinds of blogs for the library. Yeah, I talk about uh, media literacy, how to you know, check your sources on the Internet, how to wade through your Facebook feed and... Uh, ignore the crap and pay attention to the good. It's, it's hard to do these days. It is really hard to do. Thankfully, you're you're out there helping us. So that's, again, all of them, uh, blog.hmcpl.org. And we've got all kinds of people doing great blogs and videos and everything. So check it out. Yeah, you can find us everywhere. And we'll see you next time on our podcast. See ya. Bye.
The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us. No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians or that they have any expertise on your particular project.